To begin today, uh, I would like to ask you a question, give you something to think about. Uh, one of the things that we do, uh, perhaps unthinking, in, in our day-to-day -day lives as we just go through the different activities and, and things is that we often think to ourselves, uh, God has been so good to me. Things are going so well. And we can be so thankful for uh, how good God has been to us. Or it may be something else. It may be, man, times are kind of tough. Uh, and uh, where God is in that process is left kind of vaguely undefined. It's just like, oh, man, I'm not feeling like he's there. Uh, I feel like he's not involved. I feel like he doesn't care. Maybe he's... Maybe I'm mad that things haven't gone the way I thought they should. Maybe he's, I think he's being harsh to me. Yeah, man, or, or maybe God just doesn't satisfy me in, these, in this particular time and, or season in my life. And so with that in mind, uh, the idea that uh, how we think about God affects uh, the decisions and the choices that we make in this life I'd like you to uh, turn with me to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. And if, you're, if you have a bulletin or a piece of paper, uh, stick it in there and mark it and, and put your finger also in Exodus chapter 16. Mark chapter uh, 16 of the book of Exodus. And then after that, you can turn back to Matthew and chapter 4. Deuteronomy 8, Exodus 16, and Matthew chapter 4. Our subject today will be, where uh, we will be looking at the first of the three temptations of Jesus. And we have the account of that in Matthew chapter 4, and verses 1 through 4. The background to that is, up in Matthew chapter 3, if you would look with me, in verse 13, Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And farther on down in verse 16, after being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. My beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Let's stop for a minute of prayer. Father, we are so thankful for the opportunity to gather together in this place and lift our hearts and our voices uh, in worship to you as he who alone in this universe is worthy. And Father, it's our heart's desire as we come to your word this morning to be instructed of your spirit, uh, to be transformed, Lord, to hear your word clearly and plainly by the power of your spirit, uh, that your purposes may be accomplished in each one of our lives. Lord, we pray that you would draw each one of us closer to you today. Deepen our understanding of these things, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 
We see in uh, Matthew chapter 3 and verse 16, the uh, Holy Spirit descending on Jesus as a dove. And in, in verse 17, the voice of the Father saying, this is my beloved Son, my fully loved, my thoroughly loved, my perfectly loved Son in whom uh, I am well pleased. Not just pleased, but well pleased, thoroughly pleased. Uh, the Father thinks so well of the Son. And oftentimes we think of Jesus as God walking around, do we not? Uh, that nothing was hard for him, that he didn't have the difficulties that the rest of us had. I mean, after all, he was the Son of God, God in human flesh. Uh, but, and he was indeed fully human. Uh, he was sinless, yes. He was righteous, yes. He was a truly good man. And as a human, uh, he underwent the same human trials that we all go through. Uh, he was born of a woman. He was flesh and blood. He was tempted. He made choices and decisions. He had emotions. Uh, he was hungry and thirsty. Uh, he had legitimate human needs in those ways. He had fatigue and pain. He had friends. He had enemies. He had relationships. He suffered losses. He died. And so he was fully human. And as he came up out of that water to hear the voice of the Heavenly Father say, My beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, how must he have felt to hear such things? Uh, what would be his expectation uh, if uh, that is what you heard or uh, even what he heard? Uh, was he expecting perhaps next would be a, a palace, perhaps a kingdom? Uh, the glory that was due him. But notice in chapter 4 and verse 1, what, what did happen next? Jesus, it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Observe, first of all, that he was led by the Spirit. The book of Mark says he was driven by the Spirit out into the wilderness. And the wilderness, as we know, I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to travel to the Holy Land. The wilderness in the Holy Land is quite a place. Uh, I have had the privilege of being there, and it is the definition of barrenness. It is desert and lonely. It's desolate. It's hot. Days are hot. Nights can be cold. It's miserable, dirty. It's unpleasant. It's inhospitable. It's all those things we think uh, a wilderness should be. Uh, in fact, if you go to Google and get, get the satellite view of it, you can see it. It's, uh, you've got all this lush agricultural greenery in the nation of Israel, and then to the south around the Dead Sea and points south, uh, everything is just brown. It's a mess. Uh, and so it's, it's not your favorite place to go. And during his time there, we are told in verse 2, well, one more thing. It says in verse 1, the purpose of his going there was to be tempted by the devil. And so in verse 2, we're told, after he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. Not hard to imagine. Scholars think that this was literally a 40-day fast with no food. May have had water. We're not told. Uh, but... Uh, 
he had gone a long, long time without food, and he was understandably, he was predictably famished, as you or I would have been. He may have been uh, near death. He may have been very, very uh, ill in, in those ways just from the malnutrition. We're not told we speculate about those things, but weakened and depleted, very, very hungry, all with legitimate needs. By the way, it's important to remember. Remember as well that it was the spirit who led him there. So here we have the one who's deeply loved by the father, who is in whom the father is well pleased. And what does this loving father do? Puts him in the desert. And you just need to think about that for a minute and let it soak in. What would it be like? You're loved by the father. Has he put you in a desert recently? Have you been in a tough spot? Uh, and how did you respond? Did you submit or did you follow? And so we're told then of the tempter's approach in verse 3. Here he is hungry and the tempter came to him. He doesn't say Satan came to him. He says the tempter. To tempt means to test or to prove. And... Uh, before we get deeper into his approach, I want you to remember a couple of things. Uh, first of all, God's plan for his people is to transform the heart and transform the thinking. God's plan for you and me is not to change our behavior. God's plan for you and me is not that we do certain things. Oh, those, are, those things are byproducts, if you will, but all of those things, the things we decide, the things we think about, the things we, uh, the things we do, the activities we pursue are the result of a heart that's been transformed by the Holy Spirit. So God's focus is not behavior. God's focus is the heart. It always has been. The scriptures are full of it. The choices and, uh, that we make and the behavior follow from our thinking. Conduct is dictated by our beliefs. Noelle read this morning in her opening uh, in Psalm chapter, Psalm 11, that God is good. Do you believe that today? As you go through your life and you, the, the things that are happening to you, do you remember that God is good? Does the fact that God is good inform your thinking and inform your decisions? It's a truth that's directed at the heart. It's directed at the thinking. And secondly, Jesus was, uh, 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 remember that Jesus was led and empowered by the Holy Spirit through a very, very dark and difficult time. Jesus depended on him, and it's the same spirit that he depended on that lives inside of you and me today uh, as believers in Jesus Christ. So notice then, uh, as we look at the temptations, to be thinking about Jesus' mindset. What does he think of God? Is God involved in his life? Uh, does he want, does God want what's best for him? Does God care? Uh, can God be depended upon in hard times? Is God good? How could God be good in such a time? 
But notice as well the, the, the tempter. He has a hidden agenda. And that agenda is uh, not always noticeable to us, but it is uh, avoided by, we avoid the agenda of the tempter by thinking right about God. We avoid the tempter's agenda by right thinking about God. And so as the tempter approaches, look at things from a circumstantial point of view. Look at it from Jesus's point of view as famished and hot and destitute there in the desert. What kind of God says he's well pleased with you and then puts you in the desert? Is this a mistake, a misunderstanding, a miscommunication, a misdirection, a wrong turn? Uh, have I missed something? Shouldn't I be in a palace somewhere? Is God harsh? Is he uncaring? Is he up to no good? Is he out to hurt me? And the answer to those questions depends on your mindset. It depends on what you think about God, what you know about God to be true. And so the tempter comes in in verse three and says to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. Anybody have a translation out there that says, since you are the son of God? Anybody? Since you are the son of God. The grammatical construction here is if you're the son of God and you are, then command these stones. The and another way to put it would be since you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. And he's not saying. Uh, he's not saying that if you're the son of God, prove it. What he's saying is, if you're the son of God or since you're the son of God, go ahead and issue the order and these stones will become bread. And it's your exercise, your prerogative. You're the son of God. Issue the command. And so think about it for a minute. What would be the temptation for Jesus there? It's like, uh, yeah, I could do that. I have the power to, the, to do that or the, and the ability. I have the, the fullness of the spirit. Uh, Food is a legitimate need. I haven't had any in 40 days. Uh, and in fact, later on, not too much farther away than this, he's changing water to wine. Not long after that, he's multiplying loaves and fishes. He makes food. He's, made, he's good in his ministry. And so what is it that the tempter is up to in telling him to do this? What's the problem with turning stones into bread. Well, look in verse four. He answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so that is a quote from Deuteronomy chapter eight. And I'd like you to uh, open up to that place if you would. Deuteronomy chapter eight. And we see in verse one of Deuteronomy eight, all the commandments, Moses is speaking to the children of Israel. Remember, they had uh, wandered through the wilderness for 40 years and uh, they had come right to the Jordan River and across the Jordan River was the promised land. And Moses was reminding the people on the shores of the Jordan River 
the things that they should have been learning in the previous 40 years before entry into the promised land. And so Moses speaking in Deuteronomy 8 and verse 1 says, All the commandments that I'm commanding you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your fathers. You shall remember, remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you and testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you to understand. He might make you, what was God after? He wanted them to understand something in all of these things. He might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. So there you go. Jesus quotes the quotes the verse in answer to the tempter. Well, it still raises the question of how does this verse answer that temptation? Notice what Moses says in Deuteronomy 8 and verse 3. He says, he humbled you and let you be hungry. What he's referring to is are the events of Exodus chapter 16. And if you have that Turn back to Exodus chapter 16. Let's see what it is that Moses is referring to. In Exodus chapter 16, we read in verse 1 that they set out from Elim and all the congregation of the sons of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after their departure from the land of Egypt. So it's been two months since the Exodus. The 10 plagues, the crossing of the Red Sea, the great victory over or the destruction of the armies of Pharaoh. Uh, just two months pre prior to this, they find themselves entering the wilderness. And verse 2 what did the people do? The whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And their grumbling is told to us in verse 3. The sons of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt. This is two months later. Uh, and they are wishing they could be back in Egypt to had died there. When we sat by pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. With hunger. Uh, and so two months after Egypt, the congregation grumbles against Moses and accuses him of trying to kill them with hunger. But notice verse four. The Lord said to Moses, behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you and the people shall go out. What's God's answer? He says, Moses isn't going to provide. He says, I'm going to provide the bread. And uh, it's God, not Moses, who provides for them. And it's key. They're looking to men. They're complaining to men and uh, expecting men to fulfill their needs. But notice their attitude. Their attitude is one of complaint. It's discontent. It's hostile. It's even murderous. Uh, they are suspicious of him and they definitely thought Moses was up to no good. Did they not? 
He said, they said, you've brought us out here to kill us. Uh, so uh, they think Moses didn't have their best interest at heart. They think Moses couldn't provide. Moses couldn't be trusted. Uh, all of these things uh, he couldn't be depended upon uh, and he was no good. And so we read then uh, uh, in verse seven, in the morning, you shall see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your grumbling against the Lord. And what are we, Moses says, that you grumble against us? The Lord hears it, uh, that you're grumbling against us. In verse eight of Deuter Exodus 16, he says, this will happen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and bread to the full in the morning, for the Lord hears your grumblings, which you grumble against him. And what are we? Your grumblings are not against us, but against the Lord. What's Moses saying? All these things that you think of me, you think I'm up to no good, you think I can't be trusted, you think I'm uh, an unworthy in, in all of these ways that uh, all of your hostility, all of your complaining, all of your discontent, that's not directed to Moses. That's directed to the Lord. And it's important to remember that what they thought about Moses was really what they thought about the Lord. There's the mindset. God's up to no good. God doesn't care about me. God doesn't love me. God's not dependable. God's not trustworthy. All of these things. He's not good. Uh, he doesn't care. And all of these things uh, were directed. This was what the people thought of God in reality. On the surface, it looked like they were complaining to Moses, but they were really complaining to God. And why did they think this? Why such a hostile attitude towards God? Because their circumstances were bad. Times were tough. And so uh, they defined God, and this is the key. They defined God by their circumstances. When things are fine, God is good. God loves me. When things are tough, huh, I'm not so sure. Uh, if, if, if I'm hungry and miserable, God, God must not care. And so what is, in, back in Deuteronomy chapter 8, the, the passage that Jesus quoted, what is it that uh, God is trying to tell them in chapter 8? What, does their, what is it that he wanted them to understand? He wants them to understand that, uh, he says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He's the source of life. God's the source of life. This is what the thinking needs to be. Uh, life is more than bread. God is good. God is dependable. God is trustworthy. They should depend on him. And so Satan is suggesting uh, that God's not good. God's not all of those things. Jesus was in the same circumstance that the people were, of Israel were in. He was famished. He was suffering. He had no food. What did he think about God? 
Well, we see from his decisions what he thought about God. And uh, the, he did not let the assault, the approach, the, the wiles of the tempter sway him in his beliefs, uh, in his convictions, in his relationship to the Lord, in his trust of the Lord. So, if the tempter comes to Jesus and says, make these stones into to bread, what's he really saying? He's saying, God hasn't provided for you. You need to do it yourself. God doesn't care. God doesn't love you. God's not good. That's the temptation, to think wrongly about God, to think God's up to no good, to think God is not good. And so if Jesus commands the stones to become bread to fulfill a perfectly legitimate need, he's agreeing with Satan that, yeah, God doesn't, God doesn't care. God's not good. I, have to, I need to take care of this myself. So Jesus based his conduct, we see, on the truth of who God is, not on his circumstances. The truth of who God is, that he is good and dependable and loving. For example, uh, remember Job uh, in the tremendous suffering that he underwent. In chapter th Job chapter 13 and verse 15, Job said, though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. Uh, and, and the idea is that if this is where God wants me to be in this life right now, talking to you, talking to me, whatever the circumstance may be, and Nobody needs to be reminded that the circumstances have been crazy for years now. If this is where God wants me to be, I'll trust him. I'll trust him till I die. If suffering is what he wants for me in this hour, then I'll suffer. And I'll suffer for as long as that's what he wants for me. And so uh, we have the same Holy Spirit. We can embrace the same perspective. It's a truth that's aimed at our thinking. Jesus thought rightly about God, that he's good and loving and trustworthy, and his conduct proves it. Uh, so we, we see then that the mindset comes first, the right thinking about God and who he is, that he is good. And then the conduct proves it. The conduct comes out of it. Look at... Uh, uh, John and chapter 11. Just for an example from the life of Jesus. In the book of John and chapter 11 and verse 1. A certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. And it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sisters sent word to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. And when Jesus heard this, he said, wait a minute. We need to get over there and get this guy healed up. Uh, time is short. We need to move. Notice Jesus' thinking in verse 4. He, when Jesus heard this, he said, oh, no. This isn't unto death, uh, but for the glory of God. He's thinking beyond the circumstances. He's thinking beyond the activity that uh, he's going to be called to. And he's saying, what's God's agenda here? And uh, he's saying it so that the son may be glorified in it. 
And verse uh, 6, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed two more days. Why? Because of his thinking about God and who God was. And that thinking that God is good and God is dependable and God is reliable and God will provide in his time dictated his conduct. And so Satan's attacks we see from this passage in Matthew chapter 3, a very short passage, uh, Matthew chapter 4, we see that the attacks of the tempter are subtle. On the surface, it's like, hey, command these stones to become bread. That's simple enough, is it not? Uh, but what's really, what he's really saying is command the stones to become bread because your God is not good. And he's, he's way too subtle to say, Jesus, you got to stop trusting this guy. God's not good. Don't believe him. Satan's not going to come to you that way and say, you need to stop believing God because he's up to no good in these things. Uh, no, he says, do this legitimate thing over here. Uh, and uh, what he's really saying is God's not providing for you. God's not dependable. God doesn't care. And if Jesus makes the stones into bread, he's believing Satan and he's buying into that line. Uh, so in closing, Satan's attacks are more subtle than we realize. He doesn't uh, and, and he doesn't approach you uh, in a straight up front, uh, easily identified way. And so three observations, three takeaways, three ideas that we can uh, take away from this passage about dealing with the attacks of the tempter. Number one, don't think that you're not under attack because you are. Every one of us is. Jesus promised the difficulty. Second uh, Corinthians 11 and 14 says, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. You may have things in your life that appear perfectly good, perfectly right, perfectly legitimate, perfectly normal, but it may be the enemy. You need to be discerning. You need to be thinking about what's going on in your life. It may be the enemy coming in and saying, do this. Nobody else is going to do it for you. Uh, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, you are his hunted prey. He says, he prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So don't think you're not under attack. It may be subtle, but uh, it's there. Continuing on with number one, don't think that you're not under attack. Instead, seek the leading and the strength of the Holy Spirit. Think right about who God is. Second Timothy chapter two and verse one be, says, be strengthened by the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Your whole being in this life uh, is dependent on his grace. Lean on him. Think about these things uh, when you are uh, in that place of decision. So number one, don't think that you are not under attack. You are. Number two, our view of God must not be defined by our circumstances. Rather, our circumstances must be defined by our view of God. 
What do you think of the craziness that's going on in the world right now with the plague and uh, all of the things that we see, the government regulations, the cultural decay, uh, all of these things that are going on? Do you wring your hands and wonder, what, what's the problem here? How can this thing be so bad? Or do you think, we have a sovereign God who's in control. He has uh, predicted these things and uh, were going to happen, and his plan is being carried out. He's faithful. He's dependable. He's trustworthy. Uh, it makes all the difference in the world in uh, your outlook on life, uh, how you think about uh, God in the midst of your circumstances. But don't look at the circumstances. Don't, don't look at the world and say, oh, God's lost control. The reins have slipped out of his hands. Uh, this horse is running wild. Uh, no, God's perfectly in control. He's perfectly trustworthy in these things. Can you think of an occasion in your life or a season where things were particularly difficult? And then the diagnosis came. Then the divorce papers came. Uh, maybe the job failed. It just piled up and piled up and piled up. Uh, what did you think about God in those times? Was God being harsh to you or was God being loving to you? And I'll tell you right now, he's being loving to you. Whether it's from the enemy or, or from his own discipline, he says uh, he disciplines because of his love for his people. Suffering is a part of God's plan. Uh, it's the part of God's, uh, the plan of a loving God for us. Uh, Paul says the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance. Paul says we despaired even of life at times. He was left for dead after stoning. Uh, but remember the man born blind in John chapter 2? What did the apostles uh, or the disciples say at that time? He said, Lord, who sinned? Uh, him or his mom. They're just looking at the, the whole circumstance of the thing saying, well, somebody must have screwed up here for him to be born blind. And what would remember what Jesus said? He said, no, it's so that the works of God could be displayed in him. He was born blind because that was God's purpose for him. It was a good and loving purpose. And we think, how can that be good and loving? It's because of our worldview. Uh, and in God's perspective, all the things that happen in this world are under his control. And so we don't judge them as good and bad. We don't judge him as good and, or bad. We judge him and we believe in him as one who is trustworthy. So don't think you're not under attack. Uh, don't define God by your circumstances. Define your circumstances by God. And number three, remember that life is more than bread or security or companionship or health or comfort or wealth. God's more than any of those things. Uh, cling to him when the relationship is lost. Cling to him when health is failing. Cling to him when security or the job is weakening. Trust him. He's good. He's good in these things. He's good and he's trustworthy and he's dependable and faithful and loving. And hold to him when times are hard. So uh, <clears throat> you can take your pick about which one of the three observations is the big one for you. Uh, are you under attack today? Are times difficult? Are the, are the circumstances making you think wrong thoughts about God, who God is? 
circumstances don't define God. God informs circumstances. And, and finally, life is more than bread. God is good. Trust him. And uh, so we will close with that uh, with a word of prayer. If, Noel, if you want to come forward. Father, we thank you for your word today. It's awesome to us, Lord, to know that uh, you are a good God and a loving God, a caring God. Uh, Father, in all of these, this crazy craziness that we see developing in the world around us, the difficulties that we experience in our lives, Lord, even the blessings that we see in our lives, uh, we are so thankful that uh, you are God and that you care for your people. You've bound yourself to us in an eternal relationship. And we worship you and we praise you and we thank you for it. Speak to the hearts of your people today, I pray, Lord. Touch lives in this room today. If there are any here today, Lord, that don't know you today, may this be the day for them. And so bless your word to your people by your Holy Spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.